Welcome to the Gottesdienst crowd, where we foster confessional integrity, liturgical preservation, and preaching that doesn't stink. We believe that the historic liturgy of the divine service is more than mere cobwebs of antiquity, but it is a true treasure of the church to be dusted off and brought down from her attic to be enjoyed. So let's get dusting. Welcome back to the Godestine's Crowd. This is Jason Broughton. Today we have with us Garrett Buvinghausen. He is the pastor of Resurrection Lutheran Church in Fredericksburg, Texas. Welcome to the Godestine's Crowd. Thank you very much. You contacted me uh, mm-hmm. probably a couple months ago. You had just read a book called Never Split the Difference, Negotiating as if Your Life Depended on It by Chris Voss. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's a former FBI negotiator and uh, said, you know, if you're looking for a book talk, uh, this would might be a good a good book to take a look at. And I hadn't read it, <clears throat> hadn't even heard mm-hmm. of it. And uh, you sent along some interviews that he had done, um, a masterclass link, things like that. So I got mm-hmm. the book, read it, you know, watched the interview that he had with uh, Jocko Willink. And I, I have to say, I, I was astounded by how I how helpful I think this book could be in terms of you know you know maybe being even a, a standard read in a pastoral practice course, mm-hmm. just on how to talk and how to speak and what things to keep in mind. He ends his book with this request to all of those who are reading it. Whether it's in the office or around the family dinner table, don't avoid honest, clear conflict. It will save your marriage, your friendship, and your family. And I found that to be a really poignant way to end and for us to begin that so often our interactions at church and at home, wherever we are, are to avoid conflict. They're conflict averse. And and when you're a negotiator, when you are trying to save a life, you can't avoid conflict. You have to dive right into it. Mm-hmm. And we are in the business of saving lives. <laughs> and so make your best case biblically, theologically, on why someone should pick this book up and begin to try to employ what he says. Okay. So, yeah, I'd, I'd um, well, just. Real quick, it's it's kind of funny. I've 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 been working with. Uh, I'm pretty new to uh, being a pastor. I only started back in 2019, but with everything that's come since then, you've had to find a way to uh, not only get to know your people, but get to know your people in a, a circumstances that are kind of strange um, and conflict uh, laden circumstances. <laughs> right. Yes. Conflict laden or cl- needing clarification. Yeah. And so, yeah, so it's, it's just kind of interesting how uh, when I first started, it was before all the COVID stuff happened and I heard about Chris Voss and uh, the masterclass and I actually took it and then read the book. And uh, I've been giving this recommendation to people, mainly pastors for several years now. And uh, I'm glad you, you you think it's so useful because it really is. I mean, the best case I can make for it and, and, you know, I'm trying to do my best not to be one of these guys that, uh, you know, that 
tries to use scripture for reading a business, you know, as the rationale for reading a business book, yeah. <laughs> you know? So it's one of those things where you have to say though, that this is actually very useful. Not everything in the book is useful for everything about being a pastor. And he talks about getting the best price on, you know, a car or something yeah. like that. But this is great because it is all about building rapport with other people. Mm-hmm. It is understanding what other people are feeling and putting a label on that and calling it out in a way that takes pressure off of them. And, and you're not you're not doing it in such a way that says, you know, hey, I think you're angry. You know, you just go, it seems like you're angry right now. And it's and they can have an opportunity to address it or, or whatever. And mm-hmm. it's just a great tool for building relationships with people. And from what we're still recovering from of this huge disconnect from COVID and and just this people being cordoned off into their own little worlds, face-to-face contact and and um, talking to people. It just seems like whatever we can use to build on those relationships is 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 helpful. And, you know, we need to be wise about these things, of course. Um, I think whenever anybody hears the term negotiation, they might mm-hmm. think, well, then you're just trying to get your way or you're trying to, you know, get me to do what you want me to do. And, and it's just what I love about this book is that it's, it's, it's collaboration is what's mm-hmm. important. And it's working with each other on solving the problem, which is the problem, not the other person. So, yeah, yeah. No, that's, that's good. It's true. I always think, you know, one of my least favorite things to do is to go buy a car. And um, I, I wish we could just go in and say, look, this is the most I'm willing to pay. And they would just say, well, this is the least that I'm willing to sell it for. Like just upfront, like just start, let's just start. Uh, but that's just not how the world works. And I always feel like I'm being manipulated. And yeah or I'm trying to manipulate. And so when first I kind of started reading this, I'm like, you know, is this just like a manipulation tool? And (laughs) as I was reading through it, it really wasn't. uh, In some ways, it does kind of tap into, um, you know, a person's feelings and doesn't manipulate Mm -hmm. their feelings, but just gives air for those feelings to be uh, voiced or room for them uh, to actually be acknowledged. So, right. uh, of course, we'll have to be wise in not applying this in in a way that would be manipulative or in a way that right. would uh, be contrary to the ethics and morality of the scriptures. Uh, right. But nevertheless, there are some really helpful tools here. Yeah, I mean, the thing that I think we, I mean, which you started off with the quote about engaging in clear conflict. I mean, but clear and useful and beneficial conflict. I mean, we, it seems like so many people are conflict diverse mm-hmm. uh, to the point where it's detrimental and we avoid communication and uh, someone's upset with you and they don't tell you how are you able to remedy the situation or anything like that? Right. So some, sometimes we have to go and talk to people. Sometimes we have to go and clear, clear the air. Mm -hmm. And sometimes we need 
tactics to be able to draw people out in a way that's not going to harm them, but in a way that's going to help us. Well, I think, you know, this last Sunday on the um, one year we had uh, come to terms quickly, right? Mm-hmm. And so we need to come to terms quickly. And this is a way of doing that. And, and, and when we go through these these tactics, it's, you know, people are going to say, oh, okay, so this is, <laughs> this is going to be stuff like, you know, okay, I don't like the way that you're saying it, or be mindful of your tone or, but I mean, really these, these things are important mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? uh, uh, and we don't like to be tone checked, but at the same time, we need to discipline ourselves as pastors, especially to use our tone of voice and other tools that we can have at our disposal to make sure that if things are out of hand, that we rein them in, mm-hmm. in a way that's not heavy handed or, or, you know, in a way that's not detrimental or it's just, it's, it's stuff that's like, when you go through these tactics and these tools, it does require wisdom and humility. And a lot of these require you to check your pride mm-hmm. <laughs> And I think that's a great uh, opportunity for us as pastors to also lead by example on that front for our people um, Mm -hmm. in showing that you can have clear conflict that's beneficial without everybody getting upset or, you know, while showing that you can have a collaborative nature Mm -hmm. in your discussions without saying, you know, like, cause who, who hasn't heard of the proverbial stories of, you know, well, we need to build a, a fellowship hall and you have some people who want it over here, uh, by this side of the building and this, and the other people on this side, and there's two camps and they are in conflict and they don't really teach you in the seminary how to deal with those things. And Mm -hmm how to approach the people and 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 deal with the feelings and and we'd like to <laughs> we'd like to not think that feelings matter <laughs> sometimes <laughs> but it's like you, this is very much a pastoral concern as well to acknowledge the feelings you don't have to agree with them but acknowledging them makes a big a big difference and mm-hmm. um this isn't just an application also for pastoral care it's also you know guys who are married and who have kids you know this is this is a great tool for just the relationships you have on a day-to-day basis you know with friends and everything as well because it you know we'll get into it a little bit here but it's it's just a way of uh, of knowing or having the other person know where you stand and it, dealing with it in a way that um is beneficial or, you know, just letting people know that you actually hear what they're saying and things mm-hmm. like that. And so the, the thing is also some rationale for this, you know, some people might say that this is being winsome to winsome, right? Yeah. And it's one of those phrases that's just, I, I don't know, it's it just really kind of gets stuck in my craw sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it just comes up so much. I mean, winsomeness, it's not, not important it's just so overused on some level that some people yeah. might use that as uh, something they can throw at this conversation to say, well, this is just, you know, winsome to winsome. Why do I have to pay attention to that? And you go, well, this is actually about being wise in the interactions with other people. And what Leah actually says in his pastoral theology, when he, it's, it's kind of funny. He's talking about mainly a country parish. He makes mm-hmm. a distinction between the country and the city. 
And he says the country parish is by far the hardest part. <laughs> he says, because mm-hmm. you have to, it's so difficult to get accustomed to the whole being and life of a congregation to understand it and to, and to know it's very important to make oneself be understood without giving up the tone and the way it is proper for a pastor to act toward a congregation, right? So mm-hmm. oftentimes we want to be, and, and that's, that's, this is the struggle with a, being a pastor in a parish anywhere is that you want to be friends with your people or you have the temptation to be friends. And he talks about that as well, um, where when you're in a congregation, you have to be careful who you deal with right at first. And there are certain people that will hang back. I mean, that's kind of what we were taught at the seminary too, but this is a way yeah. to talk to everybody in such a way that you're maintaining the integrity of the office and also letting the other person know that you care about them. You know, some people think, I mm-hmm. guess some guys think that they have to be very cold or calculated or they can't get too close with the people for fear of the accusation of um, playing of uh, playing favorites or something like that. And, sure. and, and yeah. that's a genuine concern. So these things kind of help with that a little bit. And it aims for us to, yeah. cl- uh, to engage in the clear, meaningful, and productive conflict so that we can come to terms, so that we can sharpen each other without allowing things to grow in the dark and fester, you know? Yeah. So yeah, that's, that's kind of my rationale for all this. It's kind of a lengthy one, but I mean, I think it's, it's needed because a lot of guys will sh- probably shy away from a business book uh yeah. at first but this this one really has some some good stuff in it yeah it's it's got a lot of merit w- what i found really nice quite compelling is you brought up like the tone police or uh things things like that where we're often accused of not saying things in in the right way or not saying things in in, in the most helpful mm-hmm. way and we hear it enough that we begin to dismiss it. And what I found really helpful from him is that he says, look, this is just the way the world works. Right. Um, he just was very matter of fact that if you're going to have productive conflict, uh, if you're going to actually have iron sharpen iron, if you're going to ha- be able to come to terms quickly so that things don't fester and become infected. Uh, you just have to realize that all of our interactions um, are are not just on the substance. It's also in how you say it and even in your body language. Right. And so all of these things you just have to take into account. And while it's true that often people will dismiss you wrongfully because of what they perceive as tone, um, our response shouldn't be to, you know, to be the drunken peasant that Luther right. says, and fall off the ditch on the other hand, and just go out and trying to offend people. Mm-hmm. So, so I, so I found that to be just very helpful to say, uh, look, this is the world that we mm-hmm. live in, that we have always mm-hmm. lived in, that only a certain amount, only a certain percentage of people are actually really careful about listening to what you say really they're listening how you say it and the body language that comes along with it and you just need to be mindful of Mm -hmm. it it doesn't mean you have to you know always give in it just you have to be mindful right 
And I think that was the that was a really really great takeaway yeah. for me. So in terms of like principles of negotiation, mm-hmm. uh, I think you already brought up the fact that Voss says the adversary in negotiation is not the person that you're sitting across the table from or the person that you're talking to, but rather it's the situation itself. Can you elaborate on that? Yeah. So, I mean, I mean, certainly we have, we have people that are, we so quickly want to elaborate on, on, you know, okay. So people are against us in the church or in a specific congregation on a certain issue. Mm -hmm. And yet I think if it's a very helpful a shift of perspective to say, look, this person wants, you know, whether it's in the church or in the family or, or um, whatever, this person is fighting for what they think is good and what mm-hmm. they think is right. And so if they are adamant about what they think is right, you need to find out what that is. And, you know, the adversary is that y'all aren't in concord. You know, mm-hmm. there's discord there that needs to be addressed so that you can see that person as a partner in this. And I, I, I really like that way that he said that, that you don't have the opponent on the other side, you have a partner and you work mm-hmm. with each other. And so then the spirit of collaboration really comes through on that. And mm-hmm. so you will do all that you can know with, with that in mind, you'll have all that you'll, you'll do all that you can to show the other side that you're in good faith, you know, and saying, yeah. look, I know which, so it seems like you want the best for this church. I want the best for this church and let's work together on that. Right. Or yeah. do you want the best for what's going on here in this event or something, mm-hmm. <laughs> this collaboration, you want the best. So do I, let's see what we can do. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So uh, this really goes along. It sounds like with Luther's admonition and the Eighth Commandment to, mm-hmm. to put the best construction on things or mm-hmm. to explain everything in the kindest way. Um, and I, I just would remind the listeners before they say, oh, yeah, are you saying there's no evil? Uh, <laughs> this is a guy who was an FBI negotiator right. in hostage situations who was right. saying this. Yeah. So, so he obviously admits that there is real evil out there, but... Right. If he's going to accomplish what he wants to accomplish, he has to take that frame of mind. And so I, uh, it really is kind of, uh, it seems like a psychological trick, and maybe it is, but uh, it's it just very helpful mm-hmm. in framing the situation that I'm not dealing with an enemy. Uh, I'm dealing with a collaborator, a partner, that the situation itself is the enemy. And um, so- this could also be St. Paul, you know, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, right. but the principles and powers of the air, things like that. Mm-hmm. So uh, I found that really to be helpful. Yeah. And and <clears throat> I guess that that is the proper, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's good to put the perspective on, on Chris Voss because, I mean, yeah, he dealt with murderous terrorists and things like that. And, and so you, so how can you collaborate with a murderer? And you go, well, I mean, uh, it's, it's just kind of interesting. Well, if you want the best result, it's this whole thing of, it's kind of interesting. He's talking about, um, the negotiations he would do, but the official, uh, I think the official policy of the United States is that they don't negotiate, but he works with the family to talk to the people that kidnap their, their, you know, friends and everything like that. And, Mm -hmm. and, but, there were people on the other side that were like t- 
terrorists, guerrillas and, and everything. And, and yet when they saw them as a partner in trying to solve the problem together in those high stakes situations, they were able to, yeah, in some, in some sense, it is a psychological trick, especially when life is on the line, you have to do what you can to keep the, um, the murderer at bay, right? But with us yeah. and more low stakes, I mean, I guess it should give us pro- the proper perspective that while we're in the midst of a disagreement in the congregation, it is so much lower stakes on some level, at least in a temporal sense, that we're not actually dealing with a murderer on the other side. You're dealing with Gladys who wants to put, you know, right. something on the table that you think is inappropriate or something like that. So you, or, right. or, you know, Karen or, or, or Tom or something like that, that, that wants to hold something at the church that's fine, but there's an aspect of it that needs to be talked about, or it just depends on what it is, right? But when you look at that person on the other yeah. side, this is a lot easier for us as Christians in some sense, because if we're all gathered together, you know, ideally in, for the same reasons and the same causes, it's it's much lower stakes and makes it much, mm-hmm. I mean, it's a lot simpler <laughs> than a lot of the stuff that boss had to deal with yeah. or anybody else in a business uh, world might have to deal with. So, yeah. Yeah. So he, he calls it tactical right. empathy, right? Um, that you, you become interested in what the other side yeah. wants uh, and what they want and what you want that, that, that the situation, that's the, that's the right. enemy, not the person himself. And so you're trying to, um, get what you want and they're trying to get what they want and, and going through, uh, with that in mind. Right. And I guess whenever you talk about tactical empathy, a lot of people will say, well, what, what good is that? And, and it might be because they're getting it mixed up with sympathy, right? Um, that's not what this is. Sympathy is called for, I think even by St. Peter, he says it in one of his epistles, right? We should be sympathetic with each other. Uh, That is Mm -hmm. to suffer with each other, Mm -hmm. to have pity on somebody. The empathy that Voss talks about is about understanding what somebody's feeling. And Mm -hmm. the tactical part of it (laughs) that he talks about is actually pretty clever because he says, you can understand what someone is feeling and not necessarily agree with it at the same time. That was a really poignant point that he made, which uh, was a really kind of life-changing, not life-changing, but <laughs> really changed. <laughs> yeah, really changed the way I thought about mm-hmm. because because you're always afraid. It seems not that uh, that when you let those feelings from other people be aired. Mm-hmm that you're automatically agreeing with them and, and you need to like, you feel the need to shut it down. Like that. I disagree with that. Yeah. And he says, just to acknowledge it does not actually mean you agree with it. Right. Um, you're just saying, well, I, I hear what you're saying. Right. Or, um, I understand what you mean or, you know, it sounds like this is what's going on, Mm -hmm. but you actually haven't agreed to it. Right. And maintaining that distinction in your mind actually is helpful because that 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 distinction allows you to continue to move forward in good faith, that you understand that you're not agreeing to it. Right. It allows you on some level to have some distance 
or like the, mm-hmm. the, the, um, the kind of distance that will be beneficial. It also allows you to put a check on whatever you're feeling so that mm-hmm. you can, um, you know, because if, if someone's saying something to you, if someone's angry with you, right, let's just go with that one. If someone was upset with you and they're very clearly upset, mm-hmm. you, he talks about this, you want to do what they do, right? That's why we so often mm-hmm. are told not to respond in kind with mm-hmm. the anger of other people because it just breeds contempt. And, and so mm-hmm. when, w- when you remember that, you can just simply say, seems like you're upset. And, and you know, it's, it sounds so funny when you tell people this, because I've told people this, I've tried to tell people <laughs> these tactics and they look at me like I'm crazy because they just go, well, if I say that, then they're just going to get really upset. And you go, actually, you'd be surprised. <laughs> you'd be right. surprised what people will do when they're actually told on some level that they are being heard. Um, yeah. in such a way that isn't something, and we'll get into these tactics specifically, um, yeah. when you label them, I mean, it, it's, it's hard not to get into them right away because they all kind of mingle together. It's kind of this, um, they all, it's like this web that you can weave with all this stuff. Um, but it all goes together with acknowledging the other person, um, in a way that you are, are clear, you're being as objective as possible and yeah. the other person, will appreciate that. Uh, and and mm-hmm. it's sometimes you really have to work at it though. It's not just a one and done thing. You know, it seems like you're upset and then they're not upset. It's like, sometimes you really have to work at them, but it's cumulative on such a level to where the more they hear that you understand, the more they will, I guess, be deactivated in, yeah. in what they're feeling if it's bad. Yeah. Right? So, yeah. And it, as you said, it feels weird when you do it. Yeah. Uh, it's, it uh, it seems counterintuitive, um, but well, it is counterintuitive. Right. Uh, you you tend to match those uh, with whom you're speaking or negotiating or arguing with. You you match that tone, and I know that I've been at the receiving end. Uh, I tend to get not angry but very excitable. Yeah. Right. So it sounds like I might be angry. And I always have to tell people, I'm not angry. I'm just getting excited. <laughs> and uh, I'm sorry. I'm if getting excited for being yelled at. <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, uh, and, uh, but it's instructive that someone can s- respond to what I'm saying if I'm in a, kind of one of those excited states right. in a very calm way. Mm-hmm. And how I w- immediately can think to myself, oh, I'm getting a little excited here. Right. I'm getting, you know, I'm raising my voice a little too much. And, and when I think about that and, and put what he says into perspective with my own experience and how people have brought my emotions into check, so to speak, yeah. uh, I begin to realize, hey, you know, this is, th- there's something to this. Mm-hmm. And it, as weird as it feels and as silly as it sounds, uh, it is in the end really helpful. So, so let's talk about his techniques because y- you have tactical empathy, which is kind of the the broad topic, mm-hmm. but then there are the actual tactics, the techniques right. that are used to bring that about. So, w- let's go through those techniques. Okay. So, first of all, is voice, and like I said, mm-hmm. um, 
tone tone checking. I mean, when it comes from somebody else, it's annoying, but when you do it yourself, <laughs> it's actually very helpful. Mm-hmm. So the voice that's inside you becomes the voice that you speak in some sense that if you are feeling agitated, you're going to sound agitated. If mm-hmm. you're if you're wanting to be assertive, you're going to sound assertive. So achieving your goals in negotiation requires adopting, you know, that positive collaborative mindset and the skills that go along with that. And the first one I think is very important is the voice because when you talk about negotiations, a lot of times people will say, well, you need to be assertive. You need to say, this is my price. It's kind of like, you know, go back to the car, you know, buying, buying the car yeah. example. You, you, you want to go in there and, and you just say, this is what I'm going to pay. That's all it's going to be done deal. And the other side, you know, if, if it's assertive, sometimes I can feel like, you know, a punch in the nose. If you're dealing with other people, it's like, this is the way it's going to be. That's all it is. Don't bother me about it anymore. That mm-hmm. is counterproductive. In fact, Voss is very clear. He's like, don't use that ever, ever. Mm-hmm. And I even saw a video one time where he, you know, because sometimes they put out his 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 company puts out these um, snippets from the training um, that he does with people. And there's one guy who's adamant that he needs to be on the phone with somebody else in like standing up, crouching over the phone, putting it in a, you know, a submissive position so that he can be assertive and dominant in the, in the talks. And mm-hmm. Chris Voss just goes, if I had you on the phone, I would have my way with you on some level because you would just walk right into everything that I would want you to do because I'm going to be uh, playful and accommodating and I'm going to be calm. And you're the one who thinks that you're getting his way, but in the end, you're not because you're blinded by your assertiveness, right? Yeah. And it's something to keep in mind. So he says, assertive tone is always counterproductive. Don't use it ever. I mean, some, and, and, and some people will say, well, that just takes away all whatever sort of authority I might have. And you go, no, it actually doesn't. Because if you're accommodating mm-hmm. or playful and you use that most of the time, you know, it, it, it just allows the other side to kind of relax, you know, I mean, as a pastor, if somebody comes up and says, you know, pastor, would we be able to do this? And you go, oh, oh, that's interesting. Or you say, oh, that's interesting. You know, it, that tone really makes a difference. You say, so what made you decide to do that is very different from what made you decide to do that. And it's, it's kind of funny to talk about on some level. You do this role play stuff, but I mean, you have to kind of hear it and you can even try it out. And he does talk about practicing these things, you know, uh, because otherwise you're not going to be in the practice of it. Um, but if you do playful, accommodating tone most of the time, and then this other one that's kind of neat, uh, late night, it's like the late night FM DJ voice. <laughs> use approximately like 10 to 20% of the time. That's usually if somebody's getting really upset and he talks about how he was in uh, New York as an FBI agent um, negotiating with these people on the other side of uh, this door in this apartment building. I think it was in Harlem or the Bronx or something like that. And he just used the late night FM DJ voice, you know, over and over and over again with other tactics of just labeling and whatever. And, and after hours, he said they came out 
uh, and it was a tense situation because they knew they had guns on the other side. They had armed, you know, SWAT teams on his side and everything like they were ready to go in guns blazing. And with that tone of voice, just the late night FM DJ voice, he, it's yeah. soft. It's infl- it's like, it's kind of, it calmed them down and it deescalated the situation. And it's actually very useful. <laughs> yeah. uh, and, but like you use that when someone's really getting upset. And like I said, you have to use wisdom with this stuff. You have to understand what the other person, you have to really pay attention to the other side and what they're really feeling or what it's, what they're, um, what they're conveying to you with how they're talking to you and how they're approaching you so that you can know how you can respond to calm them down mm-hmm. or to get them interested. Right. Or something like that. Um, yeah. Yeah. And then there's like the additional inflections on your voice also matter too. Um, if you're inquisitive, you know, curiosity for the other side's point of view should be the default. You know, it's like you, you, you say, Oh, that's interesting. What made you think of that? You know, it's, it's curiosity. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, I've seen him also say this too, that when, when someone is upset with you or they're coming at you because they are just raging with anger, you know, um, mm-hmm. He said, one really good tactic for you on the other side of receiving that is curiosity. If you have the mindset of curiosity as what is making this person so upset, that can help you take on the proper tone of voice to say, hey, what's going on? You know? Yeah. Um, And and, and that it'll, it'll, it'll bring them down pretty quick, you know, on some level, because if you don't meet it on their, um, their level it, it helps to kind of um, deescalate things. And then when you say that you need to have the assertive tone, the, the thing is that you can be declarative or declarative, whatever you want to say that, declarative yeah. about how you say things. And it's with the downward inflection, stating a fact. So you yeah. need to say, we're not going to do that. You just say, we're not going to do that. You know, And he says, yeah. use that sparingly on some level, unless you re- really need to make that point. Um, yeah. so anyways, yeah. So it's, it's kind of funny. It's like, you don't, you don't normally talk about tone of voice. Well, we talk about, you know, it's like, I don't like your tone of voice. It's like, okay, well then let's talk about what good tone is. And that's really helpful for this. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not just what I find helpful here is he's not saying you just have to be nice. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and that's usually how it's used, you know, in the world, you know, I don't like your tone or you get tone police because like, you're just not being nice. Um, but, uh, uh, in reality, th- there is a sense where we have to watch w- how we say things because that's, that's how people hear. Um, so the first technique in this empathy is just be mindful of your own tone and use those tones, the playful accommodating, the, the late night FM DJ voice. I've actually laughed out loud when we <laughs> talked about that. Yeah. Um, and uh, the the inquisitive and the declarative uh, to use these tones and and try to frame whatever you're in, whatever situation you are in, and prepare yourself to use those tones to deescalate, right? Um, and actually be able to come to the table and discuss and not view them as an enemy. And so part of this is just really checking yourself before you even begin to to enter into it right uh what other 
What other techniques does he have? Um, he also has um, mirroring. And mirroring is, I think... Mirroring? Yes, mirroring. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's good. That's really good. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, no, it's, it's really funny because I didn't... It's so funny. When you know these techniques and the other person knows the techniques, it, 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 that's, that's something else we probably should talk about too. Some people might say, well, why do you want to give all these things away? Shouldn't you just have them for yourself? And you go, no. Because if, if people know the other side of things and they uh, uh, can reciprocate, that's exactly what you want, you know? Yeah. Uh, the mirroring thing is great. <laughs> that, was, that was great. You, you, um, the mirror neurons, as he talks about, right? That um, bonding happens when people do the same things. You know, if, if, if you're walking down the street with somebody, you kind of wind up walking in the same gate as the other person, right? Yeah. Or you seek to, or um, if somebody is happy, you know, the other person talking to them is going to be kind of happy. And so it's like, if you feed off of each other in that sense, it builds a relationship or it builds a connection, right? Mm-hmm. And so mirroring. How much more important? How much import, more important than two is this for like fathers and mm-hmm. pastors who are like leaders within the family or the congregation, the church family, mm-hmm. for them to set that tone uh, so that others will follow as well. Yeah, it's it's great. I mean, um, yeah, with with uh, you know, it, we're pastors, so we want to talk about this primarily as pastors, but with the family, it's, it's tremendous. I mean, um, I, I, I have two kids and my oldest is almost three. She'll be three in August. And, um, she, she's fairly verbose, you know, and because that's, I think typical for girls, but I will mirror her all the time and she will just keep on talking, you know, and that's the great thing about this. And it doesn't just work on two-year-olds. It works on everybody. When you have someone say, you know, well, you know, um, they'll say something like he uses this, this example that this guy, this is in the masterclass, I think, where he says, there's a guy who goes to a conference and he wanted to just mirror everybody he came into contact with. And his wife got so annoyed because every time someone would come up to him and say, hey, this conference is great. And he go, this conference is great. They go, yeah, you know, we get to having a great time. He goes, having a great time. Yeah, you know, the food's really, really great. Food's great? You know, and it just went on from there and they would just get, yeah, and they would just, they would go on, right? And mm-hmm. and and then his wife got really annoyed because everybody would come up to him and say, your husband is so interesting, you know, <laughs> just, just, which is hilarious. But, but, but he has, he has this phrase in, in the masterclass. He says um, that, that, that um, there's an old phrase, um, the interesting people are interested in what you're doing, right? And so this is to show that you are um, paying attention and and interested in them, right? Mm-hmm. It builds rapport between the people. Um, so, like with my two year old or even my wife, they'll and she knows that I do this, but at some point she stopped caring. <laughs> Because <laughs> she actually really likes it, um, where she'll say, you know, uh, or I'll say, like, so how was your day? She's like, oh, it was good. The kids, the kids were a bit rough, or you know, it's like, or the kids were really good. Like, the kids are really good. It's like, yeah, you know, she did this, he did that, whatever, and, and it it just builds on that. And I do it with you know a lot of people, and um, 
I don't care that they know it <laughs> because it helps. Um, and yeah. like I said, if other people know that this is a good way to let people know how you feel or that you know that you're, you're paying attention, I mean, why not use it? Yeah. Right. Yeah. He talks about how, at least in negotiation, the business side, it's a way to get more information. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I've talked to, to others about this, like in terms of evangelism or even further discussion in elders meetings, it's a way to get more without being assertive and, and uh, bringing up conflict. And so it's a way to show that you're interested, you want to know more, but without a way, without asking questions in such a manner that seem accusatory. Yeah. Um, it's, it's very helpful for that because uh, before I, uh, you know, looking back on, on your time, even though I've been only been in four years or so, I can look back at my first year and say, oh, I probably shouldn't have said that, or I probably could have done that better, or I probably could have, they, they didn't have a good reaction to me. And thinking back, yeah, I can see why, because I sounded accusatory in the way that I was asking or how I was asking. But so this is a great tool to say, all right, this is how I can do better with that. With the elders meeting, you know, if, if, if someone's saying, you know, someone's upset, you go, someone's upset. Yeah, well, you know, yeah. they don't like this, that, or the other that's going on. You go, oh, they don't like that? Yeah, well, pastor, you know, it seems like whatever. It just helps you gain the information that you need because without saying, you know, it's like, well, who is doing this? You know, what's going on? Whatever. It, it's, it's, mm-hmm. it's a way to kind of lead the conversation a little bit to gain more of the information that you need because that's what we pastors need. You know, <laughs> we need information uh, to do our jobs well. And you know, the proverbial person that's upset, some, sometimes it helps to, to just say, Oh, they're upset, you know? And, and, mm-hmm. and that's a good way of giving the other side, the invitation to explain a little bit more without just asking a full length question. <laughs> it's yeah. a nice little trick. Yeah. Not, well, not a trick, but a tool, you know, um, it's neat. Yeah. It's, and without, having to assume prior to since you don't have much actual knowledge mm-hmm. a, a way to to get to get more information without making assumptions or accu- perhaps accusations so yeah right. so i found that one to be very helpful right the next one he gives is labeling what mm-hmm. so what's that all about oh man labeling is i he he calls it like a jedi mind trick um <laughs> <laughs> Which is, it's, it's going to sound kind of, it's, it's going to sound funny, but a Jedi um, mind trick. <laughs> yeah. A Jedi mind trick. Yeah. <laughs> Let me explain. Um, yeah, no, it's, it's, it's really great. Um, it basically it's giving a voice to the other side's feelings, which like we started off mm-hmm. this whole thing saying, that's just the world you live in. You have to deal with how mm-hmm. people feel. And this is a great yeah. way to do it because th- when you tell people, Okay, so he's what he came up with is just brilliant, and and it's funny you'll say this, and 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 he'll just say, "Well, I'm just some dumb guy that figured it out," and I go, "Well, thank you, because this is brilliant," because he just says it's like you give a voice to the other side's feelings by not by saying things like, "Well, it's it's like, well, I think what you're saying is," I mean, we all remember that what the Jordan the the Jordan Peterson. 
talk that he had with that one lady uh, like the BBC and like the whole time she yeah. was going after him saying things like, you know, you know, what I hear you say is, or I think what you're saying is, and she was using, you know, the first person pronoun the whole time. And he just, he just like kind of, I, <laughs> I feel kind of bad for her because it was a terrible, <laughs> a terrible use of the rhetorical skills on some level because she was putting it all on herself. Right. And she was saying, mm-hmm. I, I hear you saying this. I hear mm-hmm. what you're saying is this, da, 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 da. And when you, and he says, take out the first person pronoun, it mm-hmm. shows that you're the number one priority to the other person and it makes them defensive, you know? And so what he says is use phrases like it seems like, or it sounds like, or it feels like. So it sounds like you're angry. It, it feels like you're really confused. Or, you know, it, it seems like you don't know what to do with this, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and, and when you do that, it's objective. And he even yeah. puts it in the book, I think. If someone, you know, if when you say this, like you said, it's, it feels weird to try it at first. But once you get the repetitions in and you keep practicing in the low stakes, um, conversations and whatever you get used to it and you actually find that it's a great tool to get the other person to either um stop feeling um the the uh to either stop feeling the um negative feelings that they have or to give the amplification to the positive feelings that they have you know so um Mm -hmm. And, and if you're worried that they're going to say, you know, um, don't tell me how I feel, you know, then at least you can go back and say, well, I just said, it seems like, <laughs> you know, you have yeah. kind of an out on that level. It's like, it's like, it, it just seems like that. It seems like that, or it sounds like yeah. that. Right. Um, and then he says, don't be afraid of mislabeling because if you mislabel someone, if you say, well, it seems like you're upset, they will correct you. <laughs> they'll yeah. you and say no no i'm not upset i'm you know i'm just a little whatever um and and then you'll gain more of the information that you need to be able to proceed in um counseling the person or just dealing with whatever they're bringing to you yeah it's it's i just think it's brilliant it, it's so useful yeah mm-hmm. then he has dynamic silence what does he mean by that and i think this is probably the most difficult thing for me to master. Yeah. Dynamic silence. It magnifies the impact of the mirrors and the labels. When you make a good label, be quiet. (laughs) It's pretty much all it is. You know, if someone's upset, don't say, and I, I know I keep using that, but that seems to be the one that everyone's kind of worried about. If someone's upset with me, you know, or, um, or someone's distraught or something like that, you say, and and I've I've actually used this with people who are grieving as well, right? It's 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 actually very useful for that kind of encounter as well. It doesn't have to be just de-escalating someone who's mad at you. Um, I've used it with people who are grieving and say, "It seems like you really love that person," mm-hmm. and then you be quiet. And that is hard because you want to go on and say, "It seems like you really love that person because they did this and that, 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 that and you just go on and on and on the best thing you can do is just be quiet. And if you mirror someone also, you say, you know, like if they come up to you and say, Hey, this conference is great. Oh, this conference is great. Yeah. Because you know, it seems like you would no, just leave it alone. Just yeah. <laughs> let it land. Let them respond. Give them, give them time to respond. That's right. 
Yeah. Uh, and that is hard because <laughs> mm-hmm. usually pastors love to talk. So <laughs> I know that is, that is a problem. Well, and we just talk at, right. We don't actually have conversations right? and at least not with our people always. Uh, we don't do it in Bible class that way. We don't, obviously the sermon is not the same thing, but most of our interactions are one way. And I would say probably on a weekly basis, right, where we're just talking at, uh, we should do a lot more time having some silence so that we can g- gather more information and be able to apply the word of God to, to what is actually the problem. Right. And that's part of what the prophetic voice is, not just we tend to think of prophetic voices speaking about future things, but the prophets, more often than not, were speaking about current things in light of the word of God and describing those things. And in order to do that, you have to be paying attention. Right. (laughs) Yeah. So funny that, huh? I mean, (laughs) how can you, how can you preach about what's going on if you don't pay attention to what's going on? Yes, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. So dynamic silence. Yeah. Silence, silence is golden (laughs) in that sense. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and his, his final technique, he calls calibrated questions. Mm-hmm. I actually found this to be quite helpful too, in terms of reframing your questions and how and what versus why, which tends to be accusatory. Right. And the way he puts it is, you know, remember when you're a kid and you do something and your parents say, why did you do that? You know, yeah. what did you feel? <laughs> or if someone asks you, why, why did you say this? You know, the immediate response is a defensive one. It's like you, you, you're immediately put on the defensive. And so calibrated questions are primarily how and what. He does talk about how to use why, but it's mm-hmm. kind of tricky. And if you want to know it, read the book because <laughs> it's, it's not yeah. something that's really applicable for everyday um, discussions or um, the encounters you have with people, but the how and what questions are, uh, I I think also pretty brilliant because, you know, um, when you ask, you know, you, you usually as pastors we are dealing with people and people and how they feel, and so it's like why mm-hmm. you want to say why do you feel that way, or you know why do you think you did that, and so mm-hmm. that's just our default. So it's going to take some time and practice. It's taken me some time and practice to to try and reshape things with how and what by saying, you know, well, how is it that you were led to do that? You know, or mm-hmm. what was it that made you say that? And mm-hmm. that is just enough of a shift to have the effect on the other person that they're not going to be defensive, but they want to give you the explanation. So yeah. and 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 sometimes also the how questions can force the empathy from the other person where if someone's asking you to do something right and and they want you to do what they want you to do a good way of having them really think about your position is to say how am i supposed to do that you know and when you say how am i supposed to do that it really makes them into it brings them into the collaborative process by by making yeah. them think about oh well you know I didn't really think about your position on this right yeah and 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 it's it again it's just kind of brilliant um, with that and and also one one thing that uh, I think it, he talks about a lot 
um, he talks about it in the book pretty pretty well. He says, you know, you should get to uh, when you're talking with somebody and you're trying to really get the uh, what is it? You're really trying to get the um, you're trying to see that they understand or that what you're doing is actually having it's it's having the um intended consequence i guess you could say or something like that the intended um results that you would like that you want them to know that you hear them and that you know how they feel and all these things like that that when you use all these things like mirroring um labeling and the calibrated questions you want them to say that's right right and yeah. when they say that's right you know that they are aware that you get their position right and yeah. it says beware for them saying you're right because how often are we telling people over and over you know and we're talking at people like you said and they'll say you're right pastor you're right pastor you're right and 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 that's kind of a counterfeit that's yes dismissive. level yeah yeah <laughs> yeah it's dismissive yeah you're right you're right but if if, if you you're can right. get them to say that's right it makes a big difference yeah. Um, because if you say, you know, well, it seemed, and, and you use labeling and the calibrated questions like, well, how do you get to that point? Or it seems like this, that, and the other, or it seems like you're really upset about this, or you're really concerned about this. And if they say that's right, then it really gives you the insight into what they're, um, uh, they're feeling and, and where they are. And, and you know, that you're both on the same ground at that point. Yeah. It's really helpful. Yeah. Yeah, some examples of the calibrated questions were, to me, like the the Good Samaritan parable. Like he doesn't ask, you know, why would you do that, or right. but who who proved to be a neighbor, right. and that's kind of like a what. Um, which of these two was a neighbor, right? Um, and 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 made his point, or or Nathan to David, you know, what should be done with this man who right. did this. Um, instead of the immediate accusation, why did you do these things? Mm -hmm. it, uh, of course, you know, they used parables, but by reframing the why question into how and what, uh, not only gives you more information because they don't feel accused, but it does, it, it can have the effect that they will come along and say, that's right. Uh, and, uh, and you'll have an actual understanding. So... And that's the goal, right? Um, not that not for you to be right, but that there's an actual understanding, right? Because that's a big difference. Someone saying you're right versus that's right. It's more objective in that sense. Yeah. Um, and yeah. and when you can also use what like the scriptures as well, and they can say, well, that's right. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So we both agree on the objectivity of the scriptures. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Yeah. 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 So beyond the techniques, mm -hmm. uh, he also gives some some strategies to follow. Uh, and the first one I really kind of loved him talking about, which is particularly the example that he used in the book. And so I'd uh, commend that to everyone to read, but the accusations audit. Uh, and you know, I've done this, um, I think before I even read the book, mm -hmm. where I would begin a conversa conversation that I knew was probably going to be a little more conflict-laden and begin to say, look, I know that I've stepped on your toes and I know that I haven't done you know, the best or I know that I've offended you in the past. Uh, and so I, 
I really like this particular one. I, I've used this before I read the book, <laughs> but give us the the rundown on what he means by the accusations audit. Yeah, so the accusations audit is really helpful <laughs> when it is that you know when 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 you want to when you go for the ask on something, right? When you're asking someone to do something, um, he he uses what is it? He uses the um, the example sometimes where it's like if you're in a hotel and you need a late checkout. And you go down to the desk and you ask and, and you go to the person and before you ask for the late checkout, which sometimes, you know, typically they won't say, it just depends, I guess. Right. But he says, mm-hmm. you start out by saying, oh, I'm going to make your day a nightmare. This is going to be so nerve wracking to you. And uh, you're just going to want to wring my neck when I'm done asking you what I got to ask you. And by the point that, you know, when you get done with the accusations of what they possibly could say in response to your ask, then they're at a point where they just go, what is it? What is it? They're just in, in suspense. So that when you say, ah, but I, you know, you're going to kill me, but I need a late checkout time. And they go, oh yeah, just go ahead. What? Two, three o'clock. What? You know, it's, it's, it's kind of funny how, how that works, but it, that's, that's one example. Another example he uses is in the masterclass. He, he actually does role-playing with this other woman and they do different scenarios, right? So um, it's kind of neat to see how it plays out uh, where she plays his daughter. And yeah. um, she and and he gives her the scenario. He says, you're gonna be you're gonna play my daughter, and you're gonna want to go stay with your boyfriend at his parents' lake house for like on Labor Day weekend or something like that, right? And you're gonna try and convince me your dad to let you go. Okay. And then they just play it out. And the whole time he's accusation auditing her to death and just saying, you're going to think I don't care about you. You're going to think that I just want your life to be miserable. You're going to think that I hate you, but I don't want you going that weekend, you know? And, and, and just, mm. it, it diffuses the situation on some level because, and, 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 and he says, be bold with it because the worst you can say about yourself, you want the other side saying <laughs> you're being too hard on yourself. Right. Um, yes. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it, well, that, that works along with his like, get to know, not to yes. Right. Cause you want them to disagree with you here. Right. Um, <laughs> yeah. And uh, I mean, again, it, it does set the stage for one, you recognize that, you you have faults right and it's giving voice to what they may be thinking and how you've handled things in the past because as pastors we know we're not perfect right we know that we're sinful we know that we don't always have the right tone we don't always do everything correct um and this just gives the room for them to say yeah okay one he understands this right about himself and um and then it also, you know, gives them permission to agree and disagree. It puts the ball in their court instead of you driving. Right. He talks about the. Um, he he says he says you know make the other side feel like they're in control, and and, mm-hmm. and on some level they are right. I mean, yeah. if it's a collaboration, both sides are having their say, and you want the other side to know that they're free to disagree. And, uh, because they should be right. Yeah. And, and and so the accusations audit is, is really great for that because 
you can preempt these things because sometimes as a pastor or even as a husband, you can go, go to your wife and, or, you know, whoever else and, and, and just say, ah, you're going to, you're going to kill me. You're, you're going to be so upset with me about this. Um, but I want to go eat at this restaurant <laughs> or something like that. Right? Yeah. It's just kind of funny how, how you, you can use this in low stakes situations to, to kind of see the benefit of it. And then when, when, when you're fairly well versed in it, you can even say, you know, uh, you know, I, I kind of hate to use an example for church because I don't want to, I don't want to <laughs> play my hand on the situations I've been through. But yeah, don't, like, don't then. <laughs> whatever it is, you know, it's just like if somebody wants to do this, that, or the other, or say this, or whatever, you can you can use an accusations audit and and just say, you know, oh, you're gonna kill me, you're gonna you're gonna be so upset. Or on the other side of it, I've I've also heard it used this way too, that you can engage the other side in the uh, playful accommodating way by saying, oh, you're just, you're going to think I'm insane for wanting to do this. Like, it's going to be just so nuts yeah. and get them to be like, what is it? What is it? And get them excited on some level too. I mean, there's, there's, there's different ways to use it. It's, it's pretty, yeah. uh, pretty amazing how many different ways you can use these things. But like mm-hmm. you said, the getting to know question, you know, getting the no answer is, is also pretty key too. If you want to talk about that one. Yeah. Let's, let's head to, um, don't avoid getting to know or, or don't think that no is failure. Right. Because well, he, doesn't he, he talks about, uh, I think he talks about in the book, I can't remember about there are different kinds of yeses. Right. Yeah. And, uh, but there isn't a different kind of no. Right. What does he say? There's, there's like uh counterfeit. Yes. Uh, mm-hmm. con- uh, um, yes is a confirmation. Confirmation. Um, um, what else was there? Um, and then the, the, I think there's a th- just three. The third one was like was like agreement to action or right. actual. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's yeah. There's like actual agreement. There's counterfeit, and then there's confirmation. So it's you know con con mm-hmm. uh, confirmation. Yes, is you know um, we're going to meet at ten thirty. Right. Yes. All right. That's confirmation. The agreement to action is you know we've agreed on these terms and we're going to go through with them. Yes. Yes. Good. Counterfeit yes is kind of that you're right, you know, <laughs> where you're talking to somebody and they're saying, "Oh, you're right, you're right." That's counterfeit on some level, or it can it can be right. It's not always, but it can be. Or if someone, you know, it, he talks about the salesman who says, "You know, you like drinking water, right?" Uh, yes. <laughs> it's like, do you like clean drinking water, right? Uh, yes. What do you want? You know, <laughs> it's like whenever somebody's trying to get you to say yes all the time, yes is valuable on some level right? Um, mm-hmm. When you say yes to something, it's a commitment. Um, and, and and not everybody's comfortable saying yes right away. So what he says is that getting to know first is actually very valuable. And I even use this on the phone when I, talk, when I call people. And he says that he does it all the time. And everybody that in his company, whenever they pop into somebody's office or they call them on the phone, they always say, is this a bad time to talk? And you know, yeah. if it is, they'll let you know. But most of the time, they'll say, "No, it's fine," and that gives them the, on some level, um, the unspoken um, approval to say no. They're f- they're free to say yeah. no, and so when you and and that also can be used of, you know, if you can master this, it it again takes some practice. But if you can master using it by saying, you know, would it be impossible if we tried this, or would it be a bad idea if we maybe did this thing? 
And, and, you know, if, if you phrase it in those things, you know, would it be just absolutely out of the question to do or to say this or to approach it in this way? And someone typically, if they think that it's a bad thing, they'll say, no, but this is maybe what you can tweak here and there, you know, but it gives them, it's, it's, it's much more collaborative in that sense than to have them have you say, you know, is this a good idea? <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. Is this a good way to yeah. do that? You know, and and to where they're feeling pressured to say, well, yeah, but so saying, having having the other side say no, and understanding on your side that when someone, if you can help someone to say no at the first, at the outset, it actually works them toward the yes that you really need. Really want. Yeah. 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 Okay. He has a few others like you know, defeating fear of loss, but that's a a finer point that I think we'll just have you read about in the book. Uh, And then decoding body language and speech patterns. What is that? Um, He doesn't, he does talk about it somewhat in the book. Um, The, uh, but there's there's two different things that he highlights. Uh, There's the Pinocchio effect, which is almost exactly what it sounds like. Uh, the Pinocchio effect is that when people are not being when 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 people are not being straightforward with you, um, when they're trying to deceive or something like that, they tend to use more words and uh, they tend to use more words than is necessary to communicate their point. So the Pinocchio yeah. effect and 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 all this stuff is backed up by science and everything that he he has like the um, psychology. Yeah, I guess it's neuroscience and research. That- yeah the research and everything, they found that whenever someone's trying to be deceptive, they use more words to communicate their point than was absolutely necessary. And so you can kind of, that's, that's how you can read someone a little bit. If, if they're coming in, I mean, you want to use one that's a tough situation and probably quintessential for us nowadays. It's just, you know, um, uh, if there's uh, a young, if there's a couple that wants to get married and they're, you know, sleeping together or cohabitating or something like that, and you're asking them the question, "Are y'all living together?" They say, "Well, no," and, and and they just go on in their explanation when a no would suffice, right? And they're just continuing on and on and on and on, or whatever the situation is, they just keep using more words than what is absolutely necessary. You can kind of at least get a sense that you need to probe a little bit deeper. Right, and you need to yeah. use some of the tools to say, okay, so it seems like you know whatever, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, or you, or use yeah. or mirror them. them, yeah, yeah. So that's that's yeah. one. Um, the Pinocchio effect is kind of helpful. I, I haven't really had a a lot of people try and lie to me, so I haven't really yeah. used that too much. But it's nice to have in your back pocket so that if you do see it, you can say, oh, I should pay attention to that. And then there's the- You can see it really in your kids. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's right. Uh, when when they're trying to, to kind of cover up, you can see that they'll use more words than necessary. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I know, okay, I need to probe this. This is not the whole truth. Right. Um, and it doesn't mean they're lying to you per se. I mean, maybe some embellishment. Yeah, they're being dishonest. Yeah. It's embellishment. It's yes. Things like that. Yeah, so, yeah. And then, and so, so yeah, that's just something it's useful to just know. You gotta say, okay, now mm-hmm. I gotta, I gotta ask some questions because there's something missing here. I need to gain some more information. Right. Um, mm-hmm. And then there's the seven thirty eight fifty five rule. So 
uh, and I thought this was pretty good too, um, that in the studies they've done, they found that 7% of a person's effort is conveyed in their words, like what they're actually saying, right? So people mm-hmm. hear, so it's like what the actual content is is heard about 7% of the time. 38% of what is being conveyed is received by tone of voice. Mm-hmm. And then 55% is through body language. So yeah. your tone of voice is more is like more than five times important as what you're actually saying. Now that's not yeah. that's not that's not like um uh that's not free reign to be all flash and no substance, of course. Um, you have to right. have, especially as pastors and, and fathers and you know, teachers and husbands, you have to have the substance behind what you're saying. But you're, what, what you're saying can be conveyed so much more effectively by how you're saying it, um, you, like I said, more than five times important right, than what you're actually mm-hmm. saying. And so if your counterpart's tone of voice and body language show that they're about to lose their bearings, you can do your tone of voice to kind of rein them in a little bit, the mm-hmm. late night FM DJ voice or whatever. And, and that, or just like mirror or label or something like that, you know, use a tone of voice to help calm them down, you know, yeah. and, and then, so they can kind of get that bearing back and um, it helps to soothe and slow down. And that's, 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 that's the other thing that I really think he's, we should, we should really pay, pay attention to. He just wants you to slow things down. And that's yeah. really hard to remember sometimes when you're in the middle yeah. of talking to somebody, you're busy, you got all these things on your mind or on your to-do list and someone comes into your office and, and starts saying, pastor, I need to talk to you about something. You go, oh, okay. But it helps because that person's right in front of you and those other things can take their time some other time, but this person's right in front of you and you need to talk to them. And it helps to just slow down and listen, pay attention, and use what they're saying to, you know, lead on in whatever it is you have to do as a pastor in talking to them. And so slowing down really helps and understanding how you're saying things is is very important um, in, in comparison to what you're saying. And it's actually what you're saying is going to be received so much better by how you're saying it than you probably realize because you can either be, (laughs) I mean, we don't want to be pushovers, right? And we also don't want to be coming in guns blazing, uh, just mowing people down. Uh, Mm -hmm. So we have to find the proper tension. I kind of, I kind of get a, I'm not a big fan of talking about balance anymore. <laughs> like yeah. I'm more, more interested in tension because that's kind of how things have to be. You have to keep it in tension. You have to keep yourself in check. You have to keep what you're feeling from coming out sometimes because it would be counterproductive. And so to keep those things in tension is really, um, really important to make sure that things don't go off the rails and that things stay productive. So, yeah, no, that's, that's a really good point. You've got to, uh, it, it, it's not always balance. It's about, you know, keeping the rope taut or, um, keeping the tension there. Otherwise everything becomes slack. Yeah. And, 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 um, and, well, and, and if I can just add this real quick, it's, it's kind of funny. Yeah, people, sure. people will say, well, where, <laughs> you know, I, I don't, I don't want this to become purely practical stuff because, you know, we, 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 we have to understand the theological under, you know, theological, 
drivings of all these things as well. Um, and I appreciate you bringing in different things like the calibrated questions and stuff like that, uh, that you kind of see implied in scripture with the way that Jesus talks. And I think if someone says, well, where does it say in the Bible that we should watch our tone of voice? And you go, well, I mean, the Proverbs talk about, you know, a soft, a soft answer turns away wrath. Right. right. And, and, and also it's like, well, how does Jesus, how do you think it's some of it has to be somewhat implied? It's like when Lazarus dies and Jesus goes to Bethany, how does he talk to Mary? And how does he talk to yeah. Martha? Or when he gathers the little children, do you think he's given them, do you, do you think he's talking to them in the same way that he's saying the woe to the scribes and Pharisees? You know, right. like you kind of have to read a little bit in that, but I mean, really Jesus is flesh and blood and you know um truly god and truly man and and i think sometimes we forget that i mean jesus did talk to people differently as well and he was very interested in conveying the word in the way that it yeah. was going to be received i mean some people close off their hearts and you can't help that but there are mm -hmm. ways we can kind of do the best we can to ensure that people are actually receiving what's being said so no, that's a really great point, because this is not about being nice. Right. This is about being uh, creating the best environment so that you're heard. Yeah. And uh, and so that you can deal with what the real enemy is, um, and hopefully come to some resolution. Right. He ends the book with black swans, and I think this was the most difficult for me to try to apply right. to, like our, our churchly environment or the situations that we find ourselves uh, obviously he's basing this a, a little bit on the the, the taleb book mm -hmm. called black swan right. um what does he mean by that well i think what he means is that you know he's remember he's he was a um negotiator high stakes you know um for a long time there and uh he talks about getting to the religion of people a lot. And mm -hmm. there was one instance where he had, there was, there's a guy, it's a, you know, it's all in the book, but he talks about this one guy who, um, drove his, his, uh, he drove his tractor, uh, on, onto the lawn in Washington, DC, or like the, the, the national mall or something like that in, in like yeah. the heart of DC and was making these demands about some legislation for the farmers. And, and and he was deeply affected by it. And he said he had bombs and all these things like that, but they found out that he was a Christian and they mm -hmm. used language to persuade him in such a way to do the right thing. Right. Mm -hmm. So for them, his black swan was that he was a Christian and mm -hmm. they were able to use it. And like one of the people on his team who was just there to, to hear what, to hear what was going on and to think about how to use it to deescalate things and bring things to the right end she said, you know, tell him something like tomorrow is the dawn of, of the third day. Right. And that puts yeah. in his mind, Christ and doing the thing that a Christian should do. Right. So on some level, a black swan, it, it's not necessarily always going to be applicable for us as pastors, but keeping it in mind that there are things that you may not know about somebody. There are things from on the other side that they're not telling you they're holding close to their, you know, chest, um, and not revealing, um, either because they think it's valuable or it, it's, it's kind of a tricky thing. Cause he says 
sometimes black swans, people hold on to them, but they don't, they don't tell them because they don't think that they're valuable, but they're valuable to you on your side. So you can understand how to approach things better or something like that. I mean, if you want to know more about it, read it, read the book. But I think what's most important that he talks about is understanding what people's faith is. And I think for us, maybe as pastors, we can look at it in this way. If there's somebody that's in your church and they're having a problem and um, uh, you need to appeal to them in some way to get them to see a certain perspective on an issue or something like that, if you know their religion, you know it should be Christianity. But we all struggle yeah. with the idolatry that's all surrounding us. You know, some people struggle. You know, it's like with uh, sports or you know watching too much TV or something like that. Whatever you can kind of use that as a way to, you, or you can probe that a little bit. I think I think that's kind of a black swan for us. Is that like if you find out what people really hold valuable, you can use that to help them understand something that they're struggling with understanding. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's kind of a finer point. Um, he uses it more in the business context and the negotiations, like they're holding on to something yeah. and, and, and you need to find out what that is and, and all stuff like that. But for us, it's really just getting to know people. It's the unexpected thing that no one thought was even on the table. Right. Yeah. It's, it's, it's yeah. the thing that nobody even, yeah, nobody even thought was out there at all. Um, but then once yeah. you see it, I mean, you you it all makes sense. <laughs> you look back and you say, "How could I have not seen that before?" Right? I mean, yeah, yeah. So it it's useful, but it's not something that you need to really um, ponder over too too much. Um, but mm-hmm. just know that it's a possibility. Um, yeah, especially with sinners, right? <laughs> not everybody yeah. tells you the truth about everything that's going on in their life. So sometimes, if they give a little hint at something, it's that's. And I think the Pinocchio effect kind of helps figure out if there might be a black swan there that they're not telling you or they're mm. not divulging and you can kind of probe. Yeah. So, yeah. 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 Well, the name of the book, guys, is Never Split the Difference, Negotiating as If Your Life Depended on It. It's by Chris Voss. Uh, Garrett, thanks for bringing this to my attention and uh, for coming on today to chat about it. You're welcome. And... I will uh, put a link to the book in the show notes and also to some of the other interviews that he's done on it. But thanks for your time and for your insight. All right. Thanks a lot. 